Welcome, welcome, welcome to TikToking. I'm your host, Kevin Hughes, and today I have an interesting topic that everybody loves and enjoys, but we talk sex. And my guest today is Whitney Togus, and it was super interesting and such a fun conversation. And I know you guys are going to love this, as you always do, because I say it every time, and I always get the feedback, and everybody loves it. <laughs> but without further ado, guys, here's Whitney Togus this week on TikToking with me, Kevin Hughes. Enjoy. TikToking, TikToking. Where creators come to play. TikToking, a TikToking. Find out what they have to say. TikToking, a TikToking. Fascinating interview. TikToking, a TikToking. TikToking with Kevin Hughes. I have a very, very special guest today, one I've been trying to get on here for a while, and we're finally making it happen. But welcome, Whitney Togus. I'm so glad we made this work. Me too. What an adventure it has been to get our schedules to coordinate, but it feels like it feels like we're meeting at the perfect time. Yes, absolutely. I guess I could start off by saying I found you and heard of you through a friend of the show, Dr. Tara. Uh, she had you on her Love Bites podcast, and uh, I was very intrigued and interested in that episode because what you do is so unique, and you don't hear a lot of it, and I kind of want you to introduce yourself and tell the people what you do for a living, and, and then we can you know talk from there, but I, I want everybody to kind of know what I know as far as what yeah. you do. I'd be happy to share that. So the episode that you heard me on, I love Dr. Tara, was an episode about life-changing orgasms. And that's a big part of what I teach in my work as a pleasure and intimacy coach. I work predominantly in that capacity with women and humans with vulvas, teaching them how to experience this incredible pleasure that all of them have access to and that none of us are really taught, taught about taught that we have it. Uh, there are a lot of people who still think a lot of the things their body has capacity to experience either doesn't exist or is a myth. So I educate women and people with vulvas in their own pleasure that is their birthright. Apart from that, I also work with transgender women as a voice and expression coach. But as we were introduced, it was through pleasure and intimacy and I'm always delighted to share and talk about that. How does one get educated in that field? I mean, what, first off, I guess what gave you that interest to learn it? And then it seems to me like a lot of it's uh, like a hands-on type of stuff, right? Like you kind of have, you can read about it, but you kind of have to learn it through physical touch yourself, right? To make sure that the totally. practice actually works. Yes. And the practices that I teach really extend beyond just physical touch and technique, a lot of it is energetic, uh, spiritual work, really. And I think that that's one of the biggest gifts that our sexuality offers us as people is this transformative healing power. Um, like, yes, it feels amazing. And it's so rich and so potent. But my story, I am not a sex therapist. I am not 
I'm a speech language pathologist by training, but I am not a clinical psychologist or a counselor. So I don't come to it from that area of expertise. My introduction to this work was really through my own lived experience and learning what my personal, what my body is capable of. And then through conversations with other people, learning that like, I'm not the only one who didn't know this. Most people I encounter do not. And what a travesty that this isn't widely available knowledge because it's been completely transformative in my life and the lives of clients I've worked with who've learned these practices and principles. And it's, um, I mean, sexuality in general is really something that is shushed in our culture. So my journey has been in first confronting the shame that is alive in me all of us have it, right? Especially around sexuality and learning how to move through it, move past it, continuously healing it and how to tap into this incredible well of pleasure, not only for the physical gifts it offers, but truly the the soul expansion and the emotional healing that I have found through it, that my clients have found through it. And just continually learning through my own experience, through experiences of my clients and what they've shared, and really just discovering more so being taught than being taught. It's been about discovering. And speaking of discovering, how did you discover that this field was actually available for a business like you have? I attended uh, my first tantric workshop about a decade ago. And I had read some articles about it. It wasn't it wasn't an explicitly sexual event, but it was very intimate, the most intimate experience I had ever had to that point in my entire life. And it was with strangers. It was like four hours of intense eye gaze, and it was uncomfortable as fuck. So <laughs> I saw these are these are people, and I loved it. Like I adored it, Kevin. I wanted so much more. It was so deliciously uncomfortable. So I saw these people doing this as their life's work, and I recognized something was calling me to this path. I didn't know yet what it was, how it would unfold, but you know, the breadcrumbs and the stepping stones sort of appear shortly after that. I found the work of a woman named Kim Anami, who is prolific in this field. Her work is incredible, and I started reading some of her Uh, her offerings and reading her articles and then just sort of snowballing from there uh, you know in uh, the course of 10 years I've gone to multiple other workshops and read countless books and god only knows how many hours of podcasts and and audiobooks I've consumed I just became voracious in my consumption of this information and in exploring in myself And with partners that I was with, these aspects of myself that I wasn't taught were there. Um, So I I didn't start it from a perspective of desiring that it be a business. In fact, I resisted for a long time going public with this and making it something beyond just myself until the calling became so strong that I I couldn't do that any longer and feel an integrity it's sort of, yeah. it's sort of uh, lived shadow work to do this and to teach this. And something that I need to heal in myself is 
is brought forth in the teaching of it. It's been really, really incredible. You know, it's so interesting. Like when it comes to something like this, like you said earlier, it's very hush hush. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of the, one of the nice things about this new generation is with all these changes and people being allowed to be and feel who they really are, whether it is, you know, um, changing their gender or identifying as something different, you know, I think the sexual stuff has come along with that and a lot more people. And especially with TikTok. I mean, I notice how there are so many swingers that have come out to share their knowledge on the lifestyle. And, um, I've met a few people like yourself in the sexual, uh, profession, like Dr. Tara, you know, who teaches it at a, as a professor at a college. And it is so, it's so relieving to me, you know, like growing up, sex was not a conversation that Mm -hmm. was had in my household. It just wasn't. It was among friends that I would have conversations with and we were a bunch of teenagers. So we had the same exact knowledge. So we weren't gaining it. It was more of like a game like, Oh, like, Oh, I had sex first or, Oh, I did this with this partner or, you know, and and now I feel like there's so many resources for these kids if they can't go to their parents because their parents were sheltered. Like I was, they have the uh, availability online to get the knowledge that they need, you know, and it's very helpful. And I'm curious with you, since you've started this new journey in this profession with your sex life, ranking it from one to 10, what has been the change, what you didn't know to what you know now when it comes to, when it comes to sex? I'm continuously learning along with every other human on the planet I will never reach the pinnacle of all there is to know about anything inclusive of sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. But the the work that I do and what I teach, um, it continues to deepen all aspects of my life, not just my sex life, but my relationships are deeper and my trust in myself is... is more unshakable, um, the more I think any of us accept, especially those really dark and shadowy parts of ourselves that we once or still do derive shame from, the more grounded we are in ourselves and the more fully we can show up in the world and the more anything that is inauthentic is stripped away from our life. That's certainly true in sex, but it's true in it's a ripple effect. It's true in my work now. It's true in my friendships. It's true in my relationship with my child. It's true in my uh, co-parenting dynamic with my ex-husband. There is nothing that escapes the the filter of truth that comes from doing deep inner work, whether you choose it through sexuality or whether you choose it through another path. Um, but I think that if I look back on, it's hard to say like, oh, before I started this work, because I can't pinpoint the time that I actually started this work. It's mm-hmm. sort of like I've always been doing this work and finally I accepted that I was doing this work. Yeah. <laughs> but if I look back on, let's say, before I started exploring this or started acknowledging that this is something that I've always had an interest in and a curiosity about, 
I would say that I was really shut down, really reserved, really on edge. And now I feel so much freer. I feel so free and I feel like it makes me more compassionate with, with others and more empathetic. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm a better human in general and sex life before that initiation was like baseline. And now it's just in a different stratosphere and it just keeps expanding and changing and growing. And there's continuously more to experience and discover, which is what I really want to teach people that there's really no ceiling. Yeah. I guess with what you teach is a lot of it meditation. So a lot of it is embodiment based, which can be it is a form of meditation. So when I think of meditation, I think of intentional presence. And that can be done it's seated meditation. That can be done in, you know, different forms of movement-based yoga. That can be done in dance. That can be done in how we eat something. Um, so a lot of it is meditative based from the perspective of bringing presence to any given moment. That's really foundational to what I teach, in fact. But the types of work that I suggest to my clients don't necessarily involve what a lot of people think of as meditation. When I know for me, if I think meditation, the image I have in my head is someone seated on a meditation cushion, even though that's not my definition. That's just the visual I have. Um, but bringing presence to a moment, bringing presence to a physical sensation and learning how to amplify that moment is really at the core of what I teach. Do you work with both male and female? I work with all gender identities and all sexual orientations. Um, I've worked with couples. I've worked with non-binary individuals. The work that I, my signature program, School of Sexual Sorcery, combines, um, you know, foundational practices and principles to experience this pleasure amplification and this incredible healing I've described for humans with vulvas specifically. But in my one-on-one -on -one work, I work with all sorts of people. Um, not necessarily on pleasure, but in cultivating deep safety in their relationships and making their sex lives, whatever genitalia they have, as incredible and transcendent as possible. So when I heard you on the other podcast, you explained kind of like you went into detail about the, the orgasm and how you can basically make it more intensified. Is that, is mm -hmm. that correct? <clears throat> now... Do you do the same thing with males? So men who find me and choose to work with me come to me to work on mostly emotional safety and um, building connection, intimate connection is something that I think in our culture men are beginning to wake up and women are beginning to wake up to the fact that men are conditioned really to shut down parts of themselves that are necessary to build deep, meaningful, and enriching emotional connections. So a lot of the men that find me and desire working with me are actually not seeking working on sex. That's really the pathway that men are prescribed for finding intimacy a lot is you can have sex and that's how you can feel intimately close to someone. What they do, what they're searching for rather, is 
experiencing intimacy outside of sex. So if a man does come to me desiring working specifically with sex, that is not my lived experience and that's not what I'm best suited to address. So I have a host of other coaches that I refer out to for that who are much more equipped to help a man navigate that in a way that I would not be in integrity to do. In my podcast here, I have about 60% female listeners actually. And so I know a lot of them maybe who haven't heard you before are curious on the orgasm stuff. Like, can you kind of explain what you do and, and, and how it affects each person and basically what they get out of taking your class and all of that? Absolutely. So when a woman recognizes the power, and I say woman, person of any gender recognizes the power within their body, but especially women because of how we are conditioned and the generational trauma that you know comes pre-programmed in us. When a woman discovers and reclaims the power of her body and her pleasure, it is life-altering completely transformative and it changes how she feels about herself. It changes how she shows up in the world and it changes how she engages in all of her relationships. It also, you know, blows open her capacity to experience this transformative pleasure that a lot of us don't scratch the surface of because we're not told it even exists. So when I talk about orgasms, There is in our culture, I think, this expectation of sex as a performance or, you know, and I've heard in some interviews I've done, you know, hosts ask, you know, well, how do you achieve whatever kinds of orgasms? And to me, orgasms are not something to be achieved. Um, They are these incredible portals and opportunities for expansion and pleasure and union with the divine, whatever you want to call it, that we can invite and be open to. But it's not it's not a, a destination, so to speak. So the the first part of of what I teach is, you know, laying the groundwork. And I think that's really foundational in addition to presence, amplifying pleasure, is shifting how we think of orgasm and how we think of pleasure. And removing the chase toward it and just welcoming it as as it's meant to be experienced, I think, which is just continuous. It can be continuous. So orgasm, I think a lot of women think of as, you know, a steady rise, a peak, and then a drop off. Um, Clitoral you know, standard clitoral orgasm is, is very much like that typically. And a lot of women, that is their introduction to it. We're not told there's anything beyond that. Those are great and we love them, but there are so many other kinds of ways that our bodies are wired to experience pleasure. There are orgasms that can last for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. There are ejaculatory orgasms that yes, women and people with vulvas can experience. There are deep emotional Uh, orgasms that are not just physical, but are really emotional releases. Um, There are energy orgasms. There are non-genital orgasms. There are breath orgasms. There are so many different kinds when you remove, you know, the parameters of 
an orgasm is, this rise, this peak, this drop. There's so many different kinds to experience. And when a woman learns that her pleasure potential is truly limitless, um, she feels limitless. You know, I think you get set on what you were kind of talking about. Like you work to that point, you know, you work up and then, and then after that it comes back down, you got to work to it again. Right. And being introduced to something like this is very intriguing. It's, 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 it's something that I think a lot of people need to hear about. And I think it needs to be out there more to allow people to know that something like this is available Yes. So I know, so you have Instagram. I do. And is that the only social media that you you typically use to promote your business? I'm most active on my Instagram account, uh, which is at embodied underscore mama. I do have a TikTok. I'm admittedly not the best at updating it. (laughs) Mm. TikTok really overwhelms me. I understand it's a really powerful platform. Eventually, I'll hire someone to navigate it for me. But I engage with my community on Instagram, which is really the value for me. It's not just me pushing, you know, my work out there. It's really I want to be of service and I want to hear from people and build relationships. And I really have gravitated toward Instagram for that just organically without really planning to. So that's where that's where. I am most often found and where I am most active. I don't know if you've ever not been on social media while doing your business, but I'm curious to know how much social media has successfully made your business larger compared Mm -hmm. to when you weren't using social media. Is there a huge difference? There are so many factors, not so many. There are several factors at play. I do think that social media has been a driver only because it allows that personal connection. And I think people really want to, if they're going to invest in a program like mine or any other coach's program, what they're investing in is the transformation that they're going to get. And they're putting their money behind one person. There are thousands of people probably who do something similar to what I do. The reason people are drawn to me is because of the unique energy that I bring, the unique perspective I have, just like any other coach. The coaches I work with, I my business coach, there are so many business coaches, and I chose her specifically because I resonate with her. There, there's an energy to her that's really compelling to me. And I think that Instagram as a platform, especially for this work, has allowed that energy to be more easily conveyed than some other platforms. I've done, I, you know, I do podcasts, I host workshops. Um, there are other ways I connect with people, but Instagram has really allowed me to be introduced to opportunities and people I otherwise would not have been. Now, do you face a lot of individuals who come to you and are very shy about certain topics and they have trouble, I guess, explaining what maybe their difficulties are or what they're lacking in, in in certain like sex part of their life. Or if they do, how do you, how do you get them out of their comfort zone to make them feel okay with talking to you about anything and everything? 
I don't really. Mm. I mean, I I don't. I the people who are attracted to this work already have a curiosity within themselves or have been following me or other people doing similar work long enough that they recognize something within them is is being pulled toward this despite it being uncomfortable much like I did all those years ago. So by the time that they're ready to invest in something even taking that initial step of like booking a call and you know, stepping into a container of having a conversation with someone who is comfortable talking about it gives someone permission to acknowledge this part of themselves and to feel safe and accepting of that part of themselves and then investing in yourself, like putting money, putting energy behind an intention is really energetically powerful. So anyone who's willing to do that I feel like is is already past the point, at least in my experience so far, is already past the point of having reservations. I will never try to persuade anyone into working with me. I am here to serve the hell out of people who want to work with me and who are committed to doing this work, and I am deeply committed to them. And if it's not aligned or someone's not ready, that's totally totally fine. That is completely okay. And wherever they are on their journey, I support them, but I don't ever push anyone into opening in, in this line of work. I think that's, um, I see it as part of the healing just to be that witness, to allow someone to open, to go as far as they can go, as far as feels good to them in this work and let that be enough. That's, that's really a practice that, um, I mean, in sex, speaking from the perspective of someone who is raised as a woman in something like sex, a lot of wounding occurs because we don't know that something is a no for us. If we do know that it is a no for us, we don't know how to say no. We realize after the fact something was a no for us. So even in just allowing someone to be a no or to be resistant, that's healing to them. Yeah. And on the flip side, how long did it take for you to start feeling comfortable with your clients to be able to discuss everything and anything with them? Or was it one of those things that it was just automatic for you once you got into it? You were completely open and ready to go. Yeah. When I decided to commit fully to this as my my path, as my work, um, I was sort of, you know, teetering around it for about a year and a half uh, before I really put both feet in and decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in. And once I did that and started having these conversations and sharing with people, yeah, this is the work I do. Doors started opening up. People started sharing. People want to talk about this. People yeah. want permission to claim this part of their very human selves. Our sexuality is such a core part of who we are. And people want to feel safe to be fully themselves, inclusive of that. So I found that once I started doing that myself and sharing that this is, this is what I do, this is who I work with, um, there was very little resistance. There was almost relief from people to have someone who was open to talking about that. And now, I mean, I find myself having conversations about this 
the coffee shop, the field trip, like the grocery store, literally every place. And, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm saying explicit things that would make people uncomfortable, but I'm giving people permission even by just sharing, yeah, I help women unlock the transcendent pleasure that is their birthright. Like even just saying that people are like, Hey, what? (laughs) I want to, I want to hear more about that. I, that sounds like something I want to know. Because your profession is so unique, I'm wondering <laughs> if some people with social media, you know, we know there's always got to be someone that tries to take attention away or has to say something ridiculous. And I'm curious if because of your profession, if it's opened the door for a lot of, I guess, trolls, if you want to call it, to come in and take your profession as something different than what it actually is. And and if you get a lot of maybe perverted type messages because people are more interested in, oh, well, she talks about it. So, you know, she's into that or, you know, like the OnlyFans stuff and, and things of that sort. Do you get a lot of people coming to you, I guess, in that immature aspect of things? Not really or not that I can't flag Mm. Um, there ha- I mean, I don't, I don't have an OnlyFans. Um, I don't have any problem with people who have OnlyFans. It's not something that yeah. is aligned for me right now. So I think that there is this, this buffer. I'm very much in control of who has access to what through the platforms and the channels that I am on. Very, very rarely have I received any sort of correspondence um that feels violating in any way if i do it's immediately deleted like i just immediately deleted nobody really trolls my um my posts so far maybe i'm not big enough yet i don't know maybe it's something to aspire to to have a band of trolls (laughs) means i made it (laughs) but um the worst, the worst of it has been like maybe someone sliding in my DMs and like just deleting it, you know, it, or men, men who reach out. Um, it's been, it's been a couple of men who, you know, book an exploration call and yeah, I can tell leading up to it, like they're not actually here to do the work and like just not, not going through with it. But I think that I trust myself. I trust my intuition. I feel like the people who found me have felt really aligned and I don't work with just everyone. It's not like if you reach out to me and we have a call, it it may not be a fit for me. And if it's not a fit for me, I'm not going to serve you as, as best as I can. So, um, it's been a practice and discernment and upholding, upholding my own boundaries. It's really not been an issue so far though. I rather enjoy saying no. So it's been great. Yeah, no, that's, (laughs) that's really good to hear. And, and I wasn't saying anything negative as far as the OnlyFans stuff because I actually know oh, a lot of people that do that. that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess it was just more on the lines of anybody that I've seen that have a profession in sex, people automatically take that like they are open to like inviting people into their world sexually just right. because they talk about the content, you know. So I guess I was kind of curious about that, but... I'm so glad yes. to hear that you don't have to deal with that. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, 
in my mind when I hear, no, I don't have to deal with that. That's, that's fantastic. I do. I do understand what you mean though. There's, there's, so I think that even in what I do, the content I do create, um, some of it is, I think some of it could be interpreted as an invitation, (laughs) you know, like, I, here's an invitation this person is, and that's really not the intention behind it. Even something like OnlyFans, um, I see it more as a, a platform for self-expression, a platform for play, a, pa- a platform to share and not necessarily to receive anything or any attention in return, but just to be, you know, just to offer the gift of your expression as, as a gift um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily as a beacon to, to attract any sort of attention, which I, I can see how, some people, especially on platforms like OnlyFans, may receive that transmission of expression as an invitation to infringe upon someone's energetic or physical, hopefully not physical, boundaries. Yeah, and I think that is kind of the, I guess, evolution of what we're dealing with today with things becoming more open and available. I think people who weren't used to that it, it, you know, they see it as something different because they're not used to hearing about it so openly. And right. and so people may take that incorrectly and it's going to get a lot easier, which it already sounds like it's great for you, which is perfect. And I think it's going to get a lot better as time goes on because people are going to, you know, it's going to become the norm. It's not going to be the, the new thing, you know, and, uh, and that's important. I think everything takes time. Even I hear a lot about the, the transgender and stuff. And a lot of people are still trying to get used to that because it's so, it was another topic that was so hush hush growing up and, and it wasn't really accepted in the world really. And so now people are starting to get used to it and it's kind of becoming the norm and it's getting there, but it's definitely different from what it was, you know, three years ago when it was kind of starting to be more heavily introduced into the world. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of the same mm-hmm. thing. I think people, as time goes on, will just, oh, yeah, this is this is normal. And this is what I'm used to, especially the generation coming up. I think mm-hmm. secrets aren't really going to be as much of a, a problem when it comes to sex and being open and telling people who you are and not, you know, the old saying they're in the closet, I don't think is going to be a term in the future because it's just going to be who you are is who you are. And and mm-hmm. I think we're going in the right direction, definitely, when it comes to all of that. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to get your feedback on what you've experienced being in this type of profession. Yeah. And, and and I'm really glad to hear that it's it's going so well and, and people are, are so accepting of it, you know? Yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison you make to um, sort of gender fluid fluidity and how there are a lot of people for whom that's that's a new concept and something that has to be adjusted to. And for some people, there's a lot of resistance to accepting that as a reality. I think that it ties interestingly to your point about OnlyFans and anyone who's in a field related closely to sexuality, I think that there is this, um, I don't want to use the word objectification, but this commodification Mm -hmm. of, 
you know, people who like use their bodies for expression or who are different than what we, we collective, what someone thinks of as the norm. Um, and that there's a, I hope I like to see, I see evidence of a shift happening toward humanizing, toward recognizing the humanity of these people, whether they are sex workers or whether they are transgender or gender non-conforming or non-binary, but in recognizing as a collective the very valid experience of these humans, that it's not a thing or, you know, a an object or a a something different, but it's a human having a human experience and sort of finding some tether of empathy between their experience and your own. I I see evidence of that happening. And I grew up in such a, like a rural type of community. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, there wasn't much of that at all. I moved out to LA and went, you know, going to West Hollywood and living in Hollywood I mean, I was fucking mind blown just (laughs) because it was so different. And it was, you know, basically what is going on in the whole world has been going on in L.A. for a long time. And seeing that in person, at first I was I was very shocked and unsure of everything because I was I I also grew up a Catholic. And in the Catholic religion, it's it's supposed to be bad. and, And like you're not supposed that's against the Bible and going through that experience, I really found myself being more acceptive to it than what I thought I would be. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 like I said, I was a little, you know, shy about it at first, but then it became the norm. And, and now I, it obviously, it honestly made a huge difference in my life being able to know that something that I thought was bad and negative because that's the way I was brought up is actually has no effect on me. I guess I'm thankful for, for being able to have that experience in, because I couldn't imagine myself being the same way maybe my parents were or my grandparents were when it comes to that kind of uh, disbelief. You know, they were, you know, everybody was brought up, oh no, it's not good. You know, it's against the Bible. God made you the way you should be. And so it's just, it's really, you know, I'm just, I'm happy that I'm, I've been blessed to be so acceptive to, yeah. to people and no matter what they feel they are or what they are or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really respect that. It takes, I wasn't raised devoutly religious. Um, I do work with clients who are products of purity culture and are overcoming that layer of indoctrination and shame. And I can, I can empathize with people who were raised believing these things that now as they're experiencing the world, they're having conflicting feelings about how can this be true and this be my experience? How can the Bible say this about this friend of mine whom I know is such an incredible person and happens to be attracted to the same gender? Like that doesn't, there are incongruencies that I think a lot of people are recognizing and I feel for them because it takes incredible courage to question something that you've held as true. Um, and the longer you hold it as true, the more courage it takes to examine whether that's still true for you. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that, granted, I don't know your audience, but I think there are a lot of people who are grappling with 
reconciling their beliefs and their experiences. Absolutely. It's kind of nice to get this off my chest as well. I know this this episode's all about you and what you do, but I think when I get to talk to people about this particular topic, it's so nice and freeing for myself to be able to speak so openly about it and knowing that I'm not going to get any lashback. And I love that because 10 years mm-hmm. ago, it would have been completely different. People would have mm-hmm. been like, you're going against the Bible. You're, you're wrong. But nowadays it doesn't happen like that. So it's so, it's so nice, you know, and even as a child or I guess teenager, I should say, I'd go on vacation with my parents. We went on a cruise one time and I remember very distinctly that my dad, we, we were in um, some part of the U S Virgin islands and my dad, asked the taxi driver to take us to a beach, but not to be a nude beach. Like he, he said, please do not take, you know, my children are with us. Well, because of the, the language barrier, he <laughs> thought that we were asking for a nude beach. So we get out, taxi leaves, we get on <laughs> this beach and it's just, you know, nude beach. And, and my dad kind of like freaks out, like cover your eyes. Do not look like, look at the sand. Do not, I don't know why he brought us here. No, no, no. And I feel that because of my experiences as an adult, I wouldn't be that way with my children. I think the human body is, it's, everybody has a body. It's very natural. Mm. You know, I don't find that if a woman is breastfeeding or her breasts are out, I don't, I don't take that as, oh my God, cover your eyes. I mean, to me, it's, it's important for each and every single person, child or not, to understand the human body and what eventually they're going to go through or going through at that moment in time. So I try to teach my kids differently than, than the way or parent my kids differently than, than the way I was brought up. And I think that's why I was so interested in talking with you and being able to hear your stories and be able to share mine that way, if there are children, I don't think so, but children listening to this, that they'll understand that if they look or if they're interested in the human body, that's okay. That's yeah, 100% yeah. Or parents, okay. you know, parents of children listening to, to, sort of, to examine how, what they're teaching their children about it, mm-hmm. about bodies and sexuality and how their children will internalize that. I think that's incredible that you are approaching parenting as consciously as it sounds like you are in that, in that area. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your business a little bit and I want to, I guess, what part of the world are you in? I am in Metro Atlanta. I'm on the East coast. Okay. So with your business, do you typically meet face to face or do you offer online uh, programming, maybe like something like this, where it's, uh, you know, Zoom or something of that sort to, to work with different clients, or do you prefer it to be in person? I work with clients all over mm. um, via Zoom is really the most common platform. I also um, have workshops that I do in person or virtually, but most of my clients are, are virtual and via Zoom. Very, okay. very rarely very rarely in person. Oh, okay. Perfect. And I guess for the listeners who are interested in maybe working with you, what kind of packages do you offer? Or or is it just one set 
package or do you offer different packages for what you do? It's tailored to the individual's needs and okay. what it is that their goals are and you know whether I think that I could support them in meeting those goals. My signature program I mentioned is called School of Sexual Sorcery. That's a group program for women, people with vulvas, um, in which I teach them these principles to expand their pleasure capacity and experience these life-changing orgasms like extended clitoral orgasms, G-spot squirting orgasms, cervical orgasms, breath orgasms, um, non-genital orgasms, 10-minute long orgasms, all of these incredible mythical sounding experiences that are completely possible and within their power to experience by themselves or with a partner. Um, we talk, we, I teach them how to deepen emotional safety in their relationships, how to identify and ask for what they want so they can have the emotional bedrock they need to open to these levels sexually when, if they desire doing that. I also work one-on-one -on -one with individuals. I've worked one-on-one, two-on-one, -on -one, I guess, with couples. And the first step to exploring with anyone I work with, apart from those who are interested in my, my program, which is pretty self-selecting. People know if they're, if they're in for that or, or not. But one-on-one -on -one is really just booking an exploration call, 20 minutes to connect, see how our energies interplay, um, you know, learn more about this, this person in front of me. They learn about me, what their goals are, and determine whether we're a good fit to, to work up toward those together. Okay. What is your uh, website again? My website is www.pleasuresorcery.com. On Instagram, you can find me at, at embodied, E-M-B-O-D-I-E-D -E underscore mama, M-A-M-A. -M -A. And um, I would give my TikTok. I, th it's, I think it's the same thing as my Instagram, but I'm honestly not really on there that much. So okay. if you want to find me, I'd suggest Instagram. Okay, and on your Instagram, you have like a link tree as well that, that has your website and everything. I do, and then my transgender-facing work is www.havenspeech.com. Um, Instagram is at havenspeech. Perfect. Well, amazing. So I like to end the show with some lightning round questions, if you're amazing. comfortable with doing that. Let's do it. Sounds exciting. Okay. Awesome. So if you won the lotto... What would be your first purchase? Um, honestly, I'm a nerd. I'm going to say that I would uh, invest it, probably invest the vast majority of it, probably buy a property, and then after that, consult with my financial planner. <laughs> okay. No, that's perfect. Maybe go on a really, really awesome vacation too, but... <laughs> well, that's honestly... The, the Use it to grow to wealth is what I exactly. would do. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. <clears throat> My biggest pet peeve. Um, I am weird about, <laughs> this is really, this is unique. I have this thing about how words feel when I make them. <laughs> there okay. are certain sound sequences I don't like. Some people have a hang up with the word moist. I don't, but there are other words that I don't enjoy 
how they feel to say. And there are some words that I really love how they feel to say. So one of my pet peeves is, um, or words. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so says the trained speech therapist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, I want to be remembered as someone who made it safe for people to be who they truly are. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I th that's that's how I'd want to be remembered. Okay. And then if you could go anywhere in the world for a two-week vacation, where would you go? Does it have to be one place? <laughs> no. Uh, like I would probably... I would probably go to the Greek islands, the Greek isles, or um, I've always wanted to go observe wildlife in Africa or just take care of orphaned chimpanzees for the mm. rest of my life. Any one of those would be great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And then finally, so typically I'll ask, you know, who is your favorite TikTok creator? And I don't know if you watch a lot of TikTok or if you just kind of stay away from TikTok. So I'm going to ask you, who is your favorite content creator, no matter what platform? Um, I, I've i already mentioned previously, I love Dr. Tara. She, mm -hmm. I so enjoyed connecting with her. But, um, oh, there are several. I really love Sophia Spolino and the work that she is doing. She is um, a late-to-life lesbian and you know, was raised very much in purity culture and has, I think, done such a beautiful job of documenting her journey in all of its iterations. Mm. And I think she's someone really inspiring and modeling how to live your truth in a way that's authentic and with integrity. And I think that that the world needs more of that. Amazing. Yes, I agree. Well, Whitney, this is absolutely amazing. And I'm so happy to meet you. And I'm glad we had this conversation. And uh, it was definitely enlightenment for myself. So it was really good. And I hope that my listeners come to you and, and give you a ton of business because that would truly make my day and know that I was able to not only help you out, but maybe help out the listeners with things they didn't know about that they're struggling with or whatever the case. And so, I don't know, this has been such a joy and, and I appreciate it. As do I. All right. Well, you have a good day and uh, we will talk soon. Hey, hey, hey. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you guys are having any questions or can relate to anything that maybe she can help you with, please reach out to Whitney. She's so fun and so polite and such an amazing woman. And I know that she would work well with whoever needs a help. And I hope you guys do that because she is fantastic. So, you know, as always, I'm going to have another fantastic guest for you guys next week. And if I don't see you, good afternoon. Good evening and good night. Bye bye now.